All right, church. Well, let's go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to turn to Hosea, if you can find it in your Bibles. Ellie was wrapping the books of the Bible earlier today so she can wrap her way right to Hosea, if you're wondering where it is today. Uh, you know, the thing about being embodied is that spaces mean something. And I love that we have a building where we can meet because I, I just wonder, there's a phrase like, if these walls could talk. And I love moments like this because I just wonder, like, if you could just, like, go up to a wall and, like, listen in to what it's heard, that you would hear in this space places where people have confessed things and said, man, I need the Lord to show up in my life, where people have been able to lay down burdens in their life to one another and say, hey, I need God to show up in this area of my life, where sins of addiction have been broken. And I love that in this space, God does something as we gather together as a body of believers. And for me, one of the things that sometimes I try to do in life is to recognize that these are the moments that we're going to look back on and say, oh my gosh, do you remember when we met in a room that didn't have enough air to make us so we didn't sweat in the summertime and freeze in the wintertime? Like, do you remember when we came together? These are the moments that we're going to look back on and say, boy, God showed up and he did something there. And so I just want to encourage you to not just kind of skip by these moments, because these are moments where God shows up, where he breaks into our moments and where he meets you in the space where you're at. And I love that because God's a person. You know, he's not a force that somehow if we get the right incantation or the right spell that then he'll do something. God's a person who shows up when he wants to. And over and over again in this space, he's been so faithful to show up. And I just want to say for a moment to recognize in gratitude that as I look at each one of y'all's faces, that I think I've been able to sit down to coffee with almost all of y'all. And I love that in each one of those moments, I've heard stories of how God has shown up. I've heard stories about what he's doing in your life. And I just love the body of Christ for that reason, that we get to show up and we get to proclaim the word to one another. I had an opportunity to meet with a couple of pastors this week. And one of the, they just kind of asked, you know, what, what's different since COVID and how has church kind of been shaped or different for you over the past few years? And I said, the number one thing that I feel like God has laid on our heart is not that I would proclaim the word alone, but that actually the word of God would be on the lips of each person who comes to Movement Church so that you get to encourage one another and say the word of the Lord. You get to encourage one another and say, here's what God has said in his word. And in that, it's not just kind of this come face me, but it's in one another. The word of God has been planted so that you get to be an encouragement to one another. And I hope that that's a great encouragement to you, that you don't have to be somebody special. You don't have a certain degree. You don't have to get up here and, and have a certain level of communication. All that you need to do is abide in the word, and the word will flow through you to the people around you. And where the word shows up, there the church is because we're built in and through Jesus Christ. That was not even in my notes. But today, Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 7, it says this. What I say, Hebrews? Sorry, Hosea, both H ones. Uh, says this. All of them are as hot as an oven, and they consume their rulers. All their kings fall, and not one of them calls on me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today, I hope to encourage us from this idea to live is to commune. You see, sometimes it feels a little bit like Israel is very different than me. Like Israel is very separate way back then, different kind of people, different kind of situations. 
But if we were to kind of put ourselves back in the Israelite shoes, there was a rising superpower of the time of Assyria. They had already had some clashes with the Assyrians. And what we see is this impending doom. You know, they can feel, they can sense in their bones that Israel's strength is starting to fail and Assyria's strength is starting to rise. And in that, there's a fear. There's an anxiety, there's a worry, there's a wonder of how are we going to make it through this? And I wonder if anybody's ever been in that place today, where today you've been in a space where you say, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this, where there's a little bit of fear and anxiety about the future. If that's not you today, turn on the news for about two seconds and you will immediately get there and you'll be like natural disasters, you know, like how are we going to feed the world? And before you know it, we end up in this mode of feeling like we're overwhelmed, we're anxious, we're full of fear because we're looking at what's in front of us and we're looking at what's inside of us and it doesn't seem to match up. And that's what Israel is going through. If you're a parent who sometimes, you know, especially as a young parent, you wake up in the morning and you just straight shotgun some coffee and you get partway through the day and it doesn't even touch it. So you get back to another cup of coffee and sometimes you feel so overwhelmed that at night you put the kids down, you collapse in bed and you say to yourself, oh my goodness, did I even enjoy my children today? Because it was so crazy. Then maybe you've stared in the face of, the, the sense of anxiety. You've stared in the face of saying, what is all this about? And sometimes I feel so overwhelmed. Maybe for some of y'all have transitioned into a season of life where you're going into retirement and you wake up the next day in retirement and you wonder, who am I? What am I doing? Where am I going? Who am I in the world? And God, what am I supposed to do? Or maybe you've entered into a new season, new job, new kid, whatever that might be that you enter into and fear desires to take hold. And the question is, where will we go in those moments? You see, Israel, they end up relying on their own ability, their own power. They end up relying on what they can do. As a result of that, God chastises them, and he tells them who they ought to turn to. You know, right now in church world, um, there's a lot of articles coming out about how the church is in trouble. You know, I, I, I hate statistics, so it's hard for me to read them. Uh, and so whatever happens, you know, they always come in, and they're like, here's how big the church was, and here's where the church is at. And sometimes what the church ends up doing is we start getting afraid, and we start saying, oh, no, we're all in trouble. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? How are we going to make this happen? And before we know it, we're in the exact same space Israel was in. And so Israel begins to talk about this idea of how do we survive in the midst of overwhelm and fear and anxiety, feeling like we're about to be overcome. What they do is they turn to their own ways. Here's what God talks to them about in Hosea chapter uh, 7, verse 4. He says, all of them commit adultery. Here again, we see that they continue to pursue other idols in their life. They continue to pursue other spaces of security and stability. And then he gives an illustration. They're like an oven heated by a baker who stops stirring the fire from kneading of the dough until it's leavened. On the day of our king, the princes are sick with the heat of wine. There's a conspiracy with traitors. For they, their hearts like an oven, draw him into the oven. Their anger smolders all night. In the morning, it blazes up like a flaming fire. All of them are as hot as an oven, and they consume their rulers. All their kings fall, and not one of them calls on me. Now, uh, if you're anything like me, you read that passage and you're like, uh, what are we talking about? There's an oven and there's kings and there's some guy who's baking. Here's what Hosea is doing. is He's saying there's a guy who makes a fire and he's baking bread. 
and he leaves it overnight and he comes back in the morning and when he comes back that fire flares up and consumes and in the same way what Israel did over and over again to try to find stability to try to find some sense of security in the overwhelm is that they have their king and it's actually the king's day Hosea talks about maybe his birthday maybe a celebration we don't really know but on the king's day they get him drunk and what ends up happening is in that moment there's something that flares up within them because they decided that they wanted to kill the king and they kill the king and as they talk about this, here's the idea is they end up consuming the king because they think in consuming him, in killing him, that they will find stability. And I want to draw this out because here's how James talks about this idea of sin in our own lives. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. In both of these, they give a little bit of an anatomy of how sin comes up in our life. And so it starts where it kind of there's this, there's this oven that's going on on the inside of us. You know, there's some embers that are still kind of there, and we can feel it. You know, it's the struggle of will I gossip or will I not gossip? Or will I lie or will I not lie? Will I be jealous or will I not be? And there's something inside of us that's just kind of stirred up. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it flares up and sin breaks in. And we're like, whoa, where did that come? from and both Hosea and James would say it was within you and now there was an opportunity that seized the moment and you consumed whatever was in front of you you see the temptation is to believe that consuming will sustain our life the temptation is to believe that consuming will sustain us will give us life in the midst of our overwhelm to say if I take and if I get to myself if I have then I will be able to sustain in the overwhelm. Then I'll be able to make it through the anxiety. Then I'll be able to make it through the despair or the depression or the hard season. That's the temptation. And so Hosea is speaking to the nation of Israel, saying to them, that is not where life comes from. Maybe you've experienced this before. It's the end of a stressful day, and you decide, you know, what could one drink hurt? And you end up drinking and consuming and it leads to you to one more drink and one more drink and you know just to take the edge off and it ends up where all of a sudden what you are consuming actually ends up consuming you for some of you it's just a normal day of just kind of scrolling through social media on your phone and all of a sudden you're comparing your life to somebody else your spouse to somebody else your kids to somebody else how much money you got to somebody else for some of y'all you're going through your phone and all of a sudden there's a picture that comes up and you follow that trail because you think that by consuming those things you'll receive life this is from the very beginning the way that the enemy works right so Adam and Eve are in the garden they're naked and unashamed and they're just kind of doing their own thing and all of a sudden the serpent comes up and he says did God really say he says you know if you take this then you'll understand the difference between good and evil and what does it say it says that Eve saw that the fruit was delightful and so she reaches out and she takes it and she consumes it you see this style of life that Hosea is talking to the Israelites about is it's what Eric Fromm, a philosopher, calls the having mode. It's the idea that if I have this thing, then I'll have more life. And every sin promises in the having mode that if you take it, that you will have more life. You ever think about the anatomy of sin, but that's the idea is like, you know, you have the moment where you could gossip or not gossip and you see the fruit in front of you and you're like, listen, if I gossip about this person, I'll feel good about myself. 
and I'll feel like maybe I got one up on somebody else. And so we take the fruit and we actually consume it and we allow that gossip to come out of our mouth trying to build up life from the inside out. But how many of us know that it ends up feeling empty and it feels like it never actually satisfies? For some of us, we've been pursuing the next uh, pay raise. We've been pursuing more money. And no matter how much money you have, it never quite satisfies because in the having mode, you're always outreaching, trying to bring something into you to try to sustain life. That's what the Israelites were doing. They were reaching out to other nations. They were thinking that if they overcame the right king, if they consumed the right king, that then they would be able to be saved. But in the midst of that moment, God is saying that life is not meant to be lived in the having mode. Life is not sustained by just simply always trying to consume more and more. As a matter of fact, here's how God describes their condition. He says, foreigners consume his strength, but he does not notice. Even his gray hair, even his hair is streaked with gray, but he does not notice. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. Yet they do not return to the Lord their God, and for all this they do not seek him. What we don't realize is as we are in the having mode and we think, if I only had this, if I had the new house, if I had the different spouse, if I had different kids, then I would be good. As we enter into the having and consuming, that's the very thing that consumes us. That's the very thing that actually leeches life away from us. As Hosea says, foreigners consume his strength, but he does not notice. Even his hair is streaked with gray, but he does not notice. And over time, as we give ourselves to these things, as we give ourselves to these sins of putting other things before God, it actually drains life from us so that we think that we have to go to more of that thing in order to gain life. But then we end up in a vicious cycle where we continue to have more and more life drained from us as we go to that thing that we think we must have in order to sustain our life. Are we tracking with me? And God introduces a different mode, a different way of being in the world. He introduces a being kind of life. He says that instead of living to consume, that living to consume will destroy life, whereas living to commune flourishes life. Here's the kind of description that God has of this idea of communion. It says, Woe to them, for they fled from me. Destruction to them, because they have rebelled against me. Though I want to redeem them, they speak lies against me. They don't cry out to me from their beds, rather they wail from their hearts, rather they wail on their beds. They slash themselves for grain and new wine. They turn away from me. I strained and strengthened their arms, but they plot evil against me. They turn, but not to what is above. They're like a faulty bow. Their leaders will fall by the sword. And so we see this idea that Israel continues to run from the very source of life, which is God himself. And God is always offering the invitation that if you want vitality, if you want strength, if you want renewal, that it doesn't come from you reaching out and trying to have something else. It comes from you communing with God, being with him. And as we are with God, it is there that our strength is renewed. It's there that we're a different kind of person. You see, they wail on their bed. They slash themselves for grain and new wine. They think that in doing all of these things that they would be able to have something, but God says, I'm the one who trained you. I'm the one who strengthened you. I'm the one that you need to turn to from above, not from below. We were just talking about hunting. Deer season opened, apparently. Uh, bow season, as the case may be. 
And for those of you who go out hunting, imagine how frustrating it would be if every time you used this bow that you went to go kill your prey, but every time that you shot it off, it went the opposite direction of what you were trying for it to go. And that's what God is saying the nation of Israel is, that they go to all of these other nations, they go to all these other places to try to find fulfillment, but he continues to call them back to himself. And so often our soul continues to try to go to other things that we desire to have instead of communing with God himself. The psalmist writes about this relationship with God and him satisfying the desires of our heart in this way. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. 1715, but I will seek your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your presence. 27.4, I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. 37.4, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 43.4, then I will come to the altar of God, to my God, my greatest joy, and I will praise you there, God, my God. And God invites us to a different way of life. One that says, stop reaching out to have. You don't have to be in that mode of being anymore where you say, if I had this, then I would be satisfied. If I had this, then I would be fulfilled. God says that his people can instead be in the being mode of life where we commune with him and commune with others. And it's there where we begin to experience the fullness and satisfaction of life. I know that's ethereal, but here's the way Jesus puts it in John chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. So Holly and I, we went with uh, Lively and Shepherd to Ferguson's Orchard this past week, and it was amazing there. And you walk in, and, and there are rows and rows of trees, these apple trees. And you walk up to one of the trees, and you can tell the difference between fruit that's dead and fruit that's alive. And how do you tell the difference? The fruit that's connected to the tree is alive, and the stuff that's not on the tree is is dead and that's the way that you tell and so you walk down the orchard and those fruit that are connected to the tree receive life it's not that they're reaching out to try to have something different they are simply communing dwelling where they need to be and it's from the tree that they receive life can i tell you the gospel says this stop reaching out to think that by having something you'll have life instead commune with god and as you are with him, you receive life from him because he is the God of life. He has the spirit of life, and in that we receive life. It's the difference between this. I was thinking about it on the way, and it's the difference between me having Starbucks and me being Starbucks. You see, if I have Starbucks, I'm going to be honestly pretty like, you know, don't take my Starbucks. I was sitting out back, and I put my uh, coffee cup on the table, and all of a sudden, Andy reaches over and drinks my coffee, and uh, unintentionally, and I'm like, hey, bro, like, that's my coffee over there. Why? Because I have a limited amount of Starbucks, and so if I have a limited amount, I'm going to continue to try to amass my Starbucks. I'm going to continue to say, how can I have more Starbucks? Because now I'm concerned about how much I have, and I think that by having it, it will sustain my Starbucks addiction. It's the difference between that and being a Starbucks. When you are a Starbucks, you get to say, listen, I get to give out coffee all day long. 
Like, this is great. Why? Because now I'm connected to something different. It's not about having, it's about being. And the gospel invites us not to have, but to be. And as we are with God, as we're connected to him, as we are those who dwell with him, it's then that we get to actually live differently in the world because in the having mode, we always are measuring in our mind. Everything's always a transaction of how much do I have and how much do I give? How much do I got and how much do I not got? And so what ends up happening is everything that we have in our life becomes a transaction in the having mode. In the being mode, on the other hand, we can actually open ourselves up to give to people around us freely. And the nation of Israel continues to try to think that they'll sustain their life if they would draw resources inward in the midst of their overwhelm and despair and anxiety. And God is saying, I'm your strength. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. And if you dwell with me, you don't got to worry about them because guess what? I've overcome the world. Can I tell you today that if you're overwhelmed, if you're anxious, if you're depressed, if you don't know what to do, if you feel like the situation is too big it's not about drawing resources inward it's about dwelling with the God who owns all of the resources and in that we receive life from life himself from the spirit that flows in you and through you to the world around you and there the church is different and by church, I don't mean movement church. I mean like the global church, what it means to be found in Jesus Christ. There the church doesn't show up and say, what can I get from you? Or what are you trying to take from me? I see what you're doing. What, what, politically, oh, you're trying to take something from us? Well, guess what? You got another thing coming. Oh, you want our resources? That what you think we're going to do here? Oh, you got sin? No, no, no. Instead of the church doing that, the church opens themselves up to the world and says, I am with the infinite resources of the divine. I am the divine Starbucks that I get to hand out love to you and you and you. And I don't got to worry about where my next Starbucks is coming from. I hand out love because I'm connected to the source of life. And it's only there that the church acts like Jesus. How is it that Jesus showed up and was abandoned? accused, beat up, had nobody left. I always like to say on his opening day of his church service, nobody showed up. His mom and her, her friends just kind of showed up to see and say like, oh, I'm sorry, baby, like that was a tough day. You know, that's what happened on Jesus's opening church day. And yet in that, how is it that God opens himself up to the world? He does it because it's who he is. He does it because in him is life. And God in his very creation and recreation opens up himself to the world in love and allows us to abide with him. And now the church gets to do that same thing because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And now the church, instead of saying, what can I get from you? What can you give me? What can I have? Instead of the church showing up with that, the church shows up and says, listen, I already have everything that I need from the Lord. And now I can be with you because I've dwelt with the Lord. Now I can open myself up to the other and I can allow myself to love you rather than trying to protect my resources. There, the church can truly be the church in the way that Israel never could. Because Israel continued to say, what can I have? And how can I use other people? And who can I consume in order to try to get the de desired end in the midst of the overwhelm? But God always says, you don't have to live that way. You can live in being. You can live in communion. 
And as you live with communion with the source of life himself, there we can give freely to one another. There we can give freely to the world. There we don't have to keep a transactional dialogue in our mind of how much somebody's given or how much we've given or what our spouse has done for dishes and what we've done for dishes. All of those things go out the window and now we see that love keeps no record of wrong. Now love rejoices in the truth. Now love flows through us to the world around us because we participated in the union and communion with God. And so I wonder if this week, if we would ask ourselves this question, I wonder if we would ask, what do I think I will gain by consuming this? When I come to social media again, and I find myself flipping through YouTube shorts for no reason, I gotta ask myself the question, what am I gonna gain by consuming this? Nothing. <laughs> when I look at how I think, how can I draw resources inward or how could I gossip about this person or how could I look at this image or whatever it might be for you, that we ask ourselves the question, what do I think I'll gain by consuming this, by having this, and then allow the gospel to answer that question, how is this met instead by communing with God and others? How is this met by me instead being in the being mode of saying I can show up and I can be with you. I can serve you. I can show up and I can help out at your house. I can show up and I can watch your kids. I can show up to the world and I can say you can have it because it wasn't mine to begin with. And how can that be met in the being mode of communing with God and with others? I was uh, reading a blog recently about a woman who was struggling with, um, with anorexia. And she was walking through this journey of her struggle. And she was correlating it to her daughters uh, wrestling with a Barbie and dirtying up a Barbie and stuff like that. She said, so in conclusion, I want to leave you with this. She said, my therapist, as I was talking to them, they said, you'll never be done with your anorexia until you figure out what it does for you. And so often I think what we end up doing is whatever sin it is for you, you'll never be done with the sin. You'll never be done with the having. You'll never be done with the the Adam and Eve apple kind of moment. You'll never be done with that until you figure out what is this doing for me? And how can that actually be met in reality in Jesus Christ and in communing with God himself? And only then we get to begin to discover that God will strengthen, God will meet us, God will renew us, God will give us victory over those things that have been consuming us. So no longer do we have to walk in fear of the world and fear of money and fear of politics and fear of other people. Instead, we can walk out into the world with an openness that says, I've received from God and what I've received, I will freely give to you. And it's there that the church gets to be the church. And it's there that we receive life to the full, not by consuming, but by communing with God and communing with others. Would you stand with me this morning? Well, Lord, we, um, we bring our anxious concerns to you this morning. We recognize that gathered around this table are many things that are on our heart, many things that are on our mind. And Lord, none of them that are out of your sight none of them that you don't know about, none of them that you don't care about. And it's for that reason, as we commune with the God, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is above every other name, that, Lord, you never shake in fear. You never run away in the midst of a battle. 
You never wonder how we're gonna make it through. Rather, you are the God strong and mighty. You are the one who comes and you bust open gates and you make a way where there was no way. You are the God who gives strength in the midst of our weakness. And in that, Lord, I pray that we would come to you, that we would cling to you, and that in that we might experience strength and renewal as we commune with you and commune with one another, as we allow the Spirit of God to fill us so that we can go out to a world and say, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I allow the love of God to flow through me so that we might be ministers of reconciliation. Lord, would you allow us as a church to be that kind of people? And Lord, to every battle that faces us, may we look in the face of God and Jesus Christ and recognize that you have already won and that you will make all things right. As we see you say in the book of Revelation, behold, I am making all things new. And in that, may we have faith and hope in Jesus and him alone. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen.